Samsung is the latest tech company to get FDA clearance for a feature that detects irregular heart rhythms on its updated smartwatch. Both Apple Watch and Fitbit have similar FDA-cleared technology. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ruth Reader. The Federal Trade Commission is investigating a merger between pharmaceutical data giant IQVIA and an advertising platform called Propel Media. IQVIA is a market leader in health data analytics worth $35 billion. It is believed to have offered between $700 and $800 million for the acquisition. The FTC is concerned IQVIA might now monopolize digital advertising for pharmaceuticals, shuttering rivals, and increasing costs for drug makers. IQVIA has come under FTC scrutiny before. The company was investigated for how it bundles various products and its reluctance to allow competing software companies access to IQVIA data. The White House's top COVID-19 official, Ashish Jha, said the U.S. is prepared for the end of the public health emergency Thursday and that the country's ability to manage COVID-19 cases has significantly improved. The U.S. government still has stockpiles of antiviral Paxlovid and vaccines, which will be distributed after the PHE ends and the supplies run out. However, Jha expressed concerns about the CDC's ability to track infections after the PHE ends. It is still unclear who will lead the new Office of Pandemic Preparedness and Response as the White House COVID-19 team winds down. And in major news, FDA advisors on Thursday unanimously recommended the agency approve the first over-the-counter birth control pill. Catherine Ellen Foley is here to break it all down. Hey, thank you for having me. So an FDA advisory group has given the green light to an over-the-counter birth control pill called Opil. Can you tell us a little bit about what the details of that are? Just a quick refresher on regulatory policy. So the FDA has the final say over any new drug, including non-prescription drugs. But sometimes when the agency feels like there is complicated evidence, it will call on these panels of advisory committees. And it doesn't have to follow their advice, but it's a really good opportunity for lots of different experts to weigh in and give their opinions on the data surrounding a particular drug or other medical product. So what happened over Tuesday and Wednesday Wednesday is two of these advisory committees joined forces and had sort of a mega meeting that led to all people serving on them to say, yes, we think that the agency should approve this over-the-counter birth control pill from a company called HRA Pharma. And so can you give us a little bit of the details of what has happened over the last two days? Why did it take two days? Panelists who were serving on the FDA's Advisory Committee for Reproductive Drugs and Advisory Committee for Non-Prescription Drugs were listening to two separate presentations, one from HRA Pharma, which is the company that is asking FDA to approve their birth control pill called Opal. And they also listened to a presentation from FDA scientists that was also analyzing the company's application. And both the company and the FDA had really thorough presentations presentations because they did disagree over the conclusions of some of HRA Pharma's science that they conducted. So one thing that HRA Pharma did as part of its application is it conducted a study to see how well people could potentially use a daily birth control pill. Opal is a progesterone-only pill, which means that patients really should take it at the same time every day or within a three-hour window every day to make sure they are maximally protected from becoming pregnant. And HRA Pharma wanted to see 
see, can people do this without the guidance of a healthcare provider? Like, will this work in the real world? And this is important because non-prescription status means you're not going to have a healthcare provider or a pharmacist to talk to necessarily. The company also wanted to see if people could correctly identify if the pill was appropriate for them. So people with certain types of cancers probably shouldn't take this pill. So they wanted to make sure that people could correctly identify if it was appropriate for them. And HRA Pharma conducted this study and they concluded that people could, including young adolescents or people who have low health literacy. HRA Pharma concluded that their study showed that patients could take this pill correctly. But FDA scientists said, wait a minute, we're not so sure. Why, for example, did so many people report taking more pills than they actually had? You know, what's going on with that? And there was a lot of back and forth over the study design and whether it appropriately captured whether people would correctly follow directions. The other really interesting thing that came up is FDA scientists looked at some of the other data that HRA Pharma submitted as a supplement to its application. And one of the things they included was an analysis of how well Opal could prevent pregnancy if you didn't take it exactly at the same time every day. So they used different data. They weren't actually trying to see how many people got pregnant in this in this study because the whole point is to prevent that life-altering event in participants. But they looked at other markers and FDA said, well, hang on, we're not so sure that this indicates that like we would approve Opal by today's standards. And HRA Pharma said they disagreed. They said, that's not really what we're trying to look at here. We're trying to look at if people can follow instructions. And by and large, what we saw with the vote is that the FDA's independent advisors believe that like, yes, while we might have different standards for approving pill for prescription use today compared to, you know, when it was first approved in the 1970s, that's true for a lot of pills. And that's not really what the advisors were gathered to talk about. And we know that the FDA usually follows the guidance of its advisors, right? And this was a pretty strong vote in favor. But you've previously reported that certain FDA scientists have had some concerns over the safety and efficacy. And I don't know if that's sort of some of what we just talked about. But there seem to be some concerns about safety and efficacy regarding this over-the-counter birth control pill. And I was curious if we have any sense of whether those concerns hold or if this advisory committee meeting might allay some of that. Yeah, it's really tough to say what this is going to do in the long run. I mean, a lot of people who are in favor of the pill becoming available without a prescription would argue that the advisory committee's vote in favor of approving it should be a really great indicator for FDA to go ahead and approve it later this summer. But the FDA doesn't have to. About 20% of the time, the FDA actually disagrees with its advisors. So it's a non-binding vote. One thing that the folks I've spoken with have said is that all of this is on on the record, and that's for better or for worse. So the fact that we have these documents that FDA posted ahead of the meeting that raised questions about the pill's safety and efficacy, the fact that those exist could cast out on the FDA in the future, this approval in the future, should the FDA go ahead and approve OPIL. It all could come up in the future if people ultimately disagree with the FDA's decision and decide to take some sort of legal action either way. Because all of these things are on the record, because concerns are on the record, that could be a market against OPIL if it is approved and people think that it shouldn't be approved. But also because we have this vote of of 17 panel members who voted in favor of the drug's ultimate approval, that could be seen as a positive thing if the drug isn't approved. So all of this is on the record and could be brought up in future lawsuits if those were to happen. 
Well, and there's also this sort of interesting state of affairs, which is the decision in Roe v. Wade was overturned, and now abortion services are not uniformly available around the country anymore. And so given the state of abortion laws in this country, it seems like there's a lot of pressure to increase birth control options. I know that the FDA is obviously not political and not supposed to be political, but I am sort of curious whether this environment gets factored into any decision making. I think it's a really interesting moment to be watching the FDA. I mean, normally we aren't super interested in these advisory committee meetings to begin with because they're not a final say. But in this case, with so many eyes on access to birth control and reproductive rights, this definitely takes a main stage. One of the experts I spoke with said that access to any drug is inherently political. And a lot of folks in favor of making birth control over the counter, this form of birth control over the counter, argue that this would be removing one barrier, which could be huge for people who live in places where getting access to abortion is highly limited. So yes, the FDA is supposed to exist in a regulatory silo. However, the Biden administration has already pledged that it will do everything it can to protect access to reproductive rights for people across the country. So there's some pressure coming there. The Biden administration has also pledged to let the FDA follow the science as it sees fit. And this came up a lot when we were looking at vaccine approvals for COVID-19. So a lot of folks are worried that there's going to be this tension here of do we have this external pressure on FDA to do two different things? Will these ultimately clash? What will the FDA decide later on? It's definitely a hot moment when we look at the state of reproductive rights across the country. And when is the FDA expected to make a final decision? People in support of broadening abortion access would argue that this is a really pivotal moment, and that is why this advisory committee meeting has been followed so closely. So the agency is slated to make a final decision this summer. Thank you so much for joining me and walking us through this issue. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah and Annie Reese are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ruth Reeder. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening. 